Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, August 24th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news, and that actually just includes a big discussion about DC Fandom, which uh, took place this past weekend and delivered a bunch of interesting news for us to talk about. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Swai Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, guys, it's Monday. Uh, we're basking in the glow of DC Fandom, which is something that I personally was dreading a little bit because it was a 24-hour event. I didn't really know exactly how this was going to go. We just came off of Comic-Con at Home, which was, I think all of us agree, a pretty disappointing experience. But um, what did you guys think about the way that DC Fandom, uh, how that compared to the Comic-Con at Home experience? So we'll dive into all of the panels and trailer discussions here in a little bit. But before we do that, let's just sort of go around the room and see what you guys thought about that. Um, Chris, let's start with you. You know, I, you know I'm, I'm right there with you. I was dreading this. It was on a Saturday. I was, I was not in the mood for it. But, you know, it, it turned out really well. It was really well produced. The, I didn't watch everything, obviously, but the things I watched, I enjoyed. Even like the, the Aquaman panel, which was literally just nothing. I just enjoyed watching it just because James Wan and Patrick Wilson were just having fun with it. And the stuff that I saw was a lot more interesting than literally anything I saw at Comic-Con. So I, I, have, to, I have to give it up for, for the DC fandom. <laughs> I never thought that we would be saying that, but uh, HT, what do you think? Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by the whole thing. I was in the same boat as you guys. I did not know what to think of the 24-hour thing, and I thought that was just a weird gimmick that they were trying to do to pull more viewers in. But, you know, they, I think they kind of knocked it out of the park. They uh, managed to do what Comic-Con at Home was not able to do and kind of create or recreate that communal experience that I think was really missing from Comic-Con at Home. That is one of the big um, important aspects of comic-con and various cons um by making it that 24-hour um sort of a limited time window thing and bringing people together and encouraging them to uh, ask questions and talk about it and i think it created a buzz that wasn't really 
existent with Comic-Con at home. And um, and because they had the content too, like Warner Brothers knew they had all this this candy for us waiting and uh, we're just things that people were really excited for. So the combination of that and um, they definitely learned from the Comic-Con at home mistakes and made it more of an interactive, more of just a, um, an ex- well, not exclusive, but just kind of something that you could gather around the water cooler for, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, I think you're totally right about that. To, to me, it sort of felt like, um, well, we should say that, uh, I guess, in the days leading up to it, they decided to that fandom was so big that they wanted to split it into two different events. And we talked about that on a, a previous edition of this podcast. But I think that actually ended up being a really smart move for them because it, um, it, it created that sense of community that you were talking about. It was sort of like, if you were on Twitter during uh, DC fandom, it sort of felt like everybody was sitting in Hall H at Comic-Con and like tweeting about the same stuff and like talking about the same stuff. And it sort of dominated the conversation in a way that I didn't think anything from uh, Comic-Con at home ever really had the chance to. And, and the fact that it was, you know, whatever it was, eight or 12 hours of continuous content that people, you know, generally pretty... <laughs> all of us anyway, really cared about uh, and, and our readers and listeners really cared about. I think that helped it out a lot. Um, Brad, what did you think about the the comparison between the two events? Yeah, pretty much uh, feel the same way. I was just impressed by how smooth it was. There, they didn't have any real glitches or anything like that. They stayed mostly on schedule. They had just one big long stream planned. And uh, since it was pre-recorded, they didn't have any delays between the big panels. And they, they even had little in-between like sketches and bits that were entertaining and amusing and uh you know, it allowed for more fan engagement too. They had, you know, pictures of art uh, that fans had done and cosplay and, uh, you know, even pets dressed up as superheroes, you know, and some of that stuff's cheesy, but it's, it still, uh, you know, allows the fans to engage in a way that, you know, makes them feel appreciated and seen by the rest of the, the fan community. And uh, they just planned it out really well with as far as the reveals and putting all the footage online, because then, you know, you know that if they didn't do that, it was going to get pirated and end up online anyway. So, it was great that everything ended up um, on YouTube afterwards as far as the trailers and sneak peeks. And the, the panels themselves were infinitely more entertaining than anything that Comic-Con at home offered. Just a very uh, well-produced virtual convention. I hope other conventions that are coming up in the near future uh, take heed and follow suit. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think um, the one of the before we move on from this, one of the real big reasons that I thought that this was really cool is what you guys have said, how, how well produced it was. And one of the aspects that this had uh, that Comic-Con did not have this year was that um, Comic-Con sort of felt like a series of Zoom events. And this felt, you know, the, the idea of DC fandom is like, they were, you know, people were standing inside this virtual dome that, as Brad alluded to, is like a little cheesy. And like Jim Lee, the who's like a, a head honcho over at DC, like uh, evidently designed the whole thing. And there's, um, you know, it's it's very obviously like people standing on green screens and stuff, and and just you know some CG CG wizardry going on. But it, it gave the whole thing a sense of place and a sense of separation from just you know people joining zoom calls and i thought that was uh something that that sort of separated it and helped it feel really produced and then also like during the q a sessions and during the panels and stuff they would occasionally cut in footage of you know behind the scenes um shots from the making of the movies that they're talking about from previous movies um, you know, like uh, Linda Carter showed up briefly during the Wonder Woman 1984 panel. And they like while she was talking, they would just like show footage of her from the show, you know, from her original Wonder Woman show. And like little touches like that go a long way to making the whole thing feel like really professional instead of just like 
last second thrown together. So uh, yeah, all of us, I think, are, are applauding the fandom, which I, n- I never thought we would say. Uh, all right, let's get into the trailers and the, the um, convention stuff itself, all the, the panels and all that stuff. So I think the biggest one that, uh, that happened was the last one, which was the Batman. So Matt Reeves' movie um, is only... Chris, I think you covered this panel. Do you remember how far along in the production he said they were before they had to stop shooting due to the coronavirus? I believe he said 25%. Okay, so 25%. And they still managed to put together a trailer that I think all of us were pretty impressed by. Or maybe it was just, I I don't know. I know some of us were. I actually don't. I haven't gotten the full reactions around this table. So let's go ahead and do that. Uh, Let's go around and and tell people what you guys uh, thought about the Batman trailer. Uh, Chris, let's start with you. Man, this this thing really impressed me. Um, I didn't even think they were going to have a trailer because, again, they haven't been shooting that much. But uh, the fact that they were able to cut this together uh, and make it look really cool uh, really impressed me. You know, it, it, you know, trailers are deceptive. They're made to sell you on a film. And actually, when I was doing um, the breakdown of this trailer, which is on SlashFilm.com, you can sort of like start to see the seams in the sense that this is really just like four scenes they just picked from and they just kept reusing footage from those four scenes but they made it work really well and you know i I was always going to see this movie but this trailer went from me being like another batman movie to being like oh my god i i really want to see this like immediately uh brad let's switch it up What, what did you think yeah, I was uh, totally impressed by this. I wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, I love Matt Reeves as a director, and I think that it was interesting casting someone like Robert Pattinson as Batman. And the the whole whole vibe of this trailer is just much darker and seedier than I was expecting. It feels like um, you know a David Fincher crime thriller, and uh, so far, just the the look of it just feels um, less polished than Christopher Nolan, but in a good way, in a way where like. You really feel the, like the grit of Gotham, but not in a way that it feels like it's digging into the same uh, moody, broody territory that Zack Snyder was. There's there's a much more grounded uh, feeling. It's almost like a happy medium between the two, where it has you know the realistic nature of Christopher Nolan and the grittiness of what we saw in the DC Extended Universe from Zack Snyder, but in a in a a way that is refreshingly um, realistic, I guess that you would say. HT, what do you think? So I know that the some images leaked of the trailer before it hit, and I joined in on sort of you know, making a poking fun, ribbing slightly at the, um, the images of Robert Pattinson and uh, looking very broody as you would expect a Batman uh, star to be. But I was you know, blown away by this trailer as well. I was really excited, and I love the um, the Fincher uh, sort of tone that this whole trailer takes. And actually, this is an interesting take that I heard from film critic Hulk who said that it's not grim dark that he felt, but more night horror. And I thought that was an interesting um, description of it because I feel like it, the trailer itself feels more not only Fincher-esque, but um, kind of taps into that noir detective genre that Matt Reeves has said that he is attempting to draw from. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I thought I was very... Um... I'm not surprised because Matt Reeves is a great filmmaker and I've, I've enjoyed almost everything that he's done that I've definitely actually everything that he's done that I've seen. So I'm, I'm not surprised that this looks good. I'm just surprised that it looks this good with this little footage. And I love the, the serial killer looking touches like the, just the, um, 
the you know to the batman all these notes and like the little uh, codes and things the riddler seems to be a, a big part of this story so um yeah all, all of that uh, stuff sort of came together really well for me um chris you know we're, we're talking about the trailer I, I have to assume that everyone listening to this has seen the trailer but i don't think i can make that assumption about you know everybody actually watching the panels of you know all the stuff that happened at dc fandom so um without you know doing a, a full blow by blow, which people can just click on the link in the show notes and, and read everything that happened in the panel. Why don't you just go over a couple of the things that um, that sort of stood out to you from the panel discussion that, uh, that you know, centered on the Batman? You know, uh, Matt Reeves is a very good speaker. I've never really listened to him speak at length before. And uh, just his enthusiasm for the project uh, really stood out to me. And a, a lot of, you know, I, I encourage everyone to read the write-up but a lot of what he said really resonated with me, especially as someone who, again, I'm a little cynical about this. I love Batman stuff. Batman was a, a, a big deal to me when I was a kid. I love the Nolan films. I like the, you know, the Burton films. I don't really like the Zack Snyder films, but I, I continue to, you know, enjoy Batman as a character. But a part of me has been like, uh, enough, enough Batman. But a lot of the stuff he said really resonated in the way that he's approaching the film. Um, you know, he did throw around gritty and realism a little too much for me, but he was also talking about how they're trying to make this stand apart from every other version of Batman before. Uh, one of the things I really thought was interesting was they're trying to make their Gotham city really just look unlike any Gotham we've seen. And also really unlike any real American city, you know, the, the Tim Burton Gotham is very, it doesn't look like a real place, but you know, it's very stylized and the Joel Schumacher Gotham is very, stylized as well with neon and stuff like that and then nolan's gotham seemed real because he didn't really try to hide the fact that it was basically just chicago and pittsburgh you know there's a lot of chicago and pittsburgh landmarks you can constantly see in the background of nolan's films and matt reeves was saying they really wanted to avoid that with this so like there's a scene where there's there's a characters that go to a place called gotham square and you might immediately think oh that's just supposed to be Times square but they they went out of their way to shoot this in you know the uk and london locations to make it just not really look like new york or look like Times square or look like something we'd recognize and i thought that was a really neat idea to make to really make it stand out from you know the same old same old and then uh, from there, he just, you know, there's, he, he said a lot, basically. But uh, other things he pointed out I really liked is that the bat suit is meant to look like it's cobbled together because it's supposed to be Batman built this from scratch. You know, the, the Nolan suit, he just sort of just like found it. Like, ah, oh, we just had this in storage and he painted it black. And then, uh, you know, the Burton suit looks very much, you know, uh, manufactured. But this is supposed to be, it's Batman uh, in his second year of crime fighting. So he's been doing this a little while, but he's still relatively new to it. So the costume sort of has this, you know, uh, cobbled together look where he's still uh, adapting it. And he's still trying to figure out, you know, what the best possible suit would be. And that ties into the movie too, in that he said that a big part of the movie is about Batman figuring out really who he is. You know, this isn't an origin story. It's not like, ah, oh, this is how Bruce Wayne becomes Batman, but he's not established yet either. He's sort of just sort of still learning the ropes. And so stuff like that really goes a long way to making this sound like it's not going to be the same old, same old again, which is a big 
a big selling point. So I, I, I remain pretty excited about this. Yeah, that last point is especially interesting because he talked a lot on, on during that panel discussion about uh, the Wayne family and how Bruce Wayne and, and Batman, like the history of that family is going to be tied in with the history of corruption in Gotham. And I think that's something that I've sort of wished that the Batman movies would uh, would deal with, especially in recent years. Um, the idea of like Bruce Wayne as this rich boy, basically, who who sort of like, you know, he has all of these, uh, these gifts of detection and, you know, his physical strength, he's gone through training and all of that kind of stuff. But he's also aided by this tremendous wealth that his family has had. And it sounds like this uh, movie is going to be exploring the backstory of maybe like how his family got so wealthy, or like, what sort of dirty things they may have had to do to stay wealthy that I don't think we've really seen explored in other Batman media in, in a significant way, maybe, or in filmed media anyway. I'm sure the comics have, have touched on that, you know, over the however many decades they've been around. But um, real quick, before we move on from Batman, Chris, they, uh, Matt Reeves also talked a little bit about the TV show, the... Um, I think it's called Gotham PD or something. Is that that's for HBO Max? Um, right. Was there anything from that 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 sort of stood out, uh, stood out to you? Um. So when this news broke, a lot of us were like, "Is it really a good idea to make a show about cops right now?" Just because of everything that's going on, and uh, a few of us were like, "Well, maybe they're corrupt cops." And uh, he confirmed that yes, it is going to be a show about corrupt cops and corruption on the Gotham Police Force. He also said it's going to be actually like a, a prequel to the movie because all the movie is set in Batman Year Two the the Gotham PD show is actually going to be set in year one when Batman is first starting to emerge. And, and the show is going to deal with how these corrupt cops deal with, you know, the sudden appearance of this vigilante in, in their city and stuff like that. So that too just made that sound really cool and interesting. So, uh, you know, as cynical as I may be, I, I, I have to admit that I really think the franchise or whatever you want to call it right now is, is in pretty good hands. I'm curious, yeah. is there anything in Batman's past or his origins that might be important that we would see again that we've never seen before? Something I mean, I do. Something <laughs> I, that happened to his parents? I <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I hope they talk about his parents at some point in the movie, at least once. I want to know what happened to Batman. Like, how did this guy become Batman? What did his parents do to screw this guy up so much? I hope we find out. <laughs> if it has something to do with jewelry, I don't know. Maybe I'm, you know. HC, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, Chris, I think you're right, though. Like, beat for beat, I think this Batman panel, like, m the way that Matt Reeves was talking about that is is more um, information-dense than any other thing that I saw at, at DC Fandom. So I, I really encourage people, if you did not watch that panel, uh, or even if you did, maybe just to refresh yourself, to, to read that full write-up, because there's a ton of stuff in there. Um, and also check out uh, Chris's breakdown of the Batman trailer, which has like a bunch of clues and, and details and stuff that you may have missed the first time around. Okay, so let's move on to Black Adam. So Brad, this is one of the, the panels that I did not watch, so um, I'll, I will be just like our, our listeners uh, during this segment. So tell me what happened during the Black Adam panel. This is the movie that um, stars Dwayne Dwayne Johnson, right? Yeah, so uh, Dwayne Johnson's been attached to this Black Adam movie for a long time. Um, and Black Adam, essentially, the best way to describe him is he's kind of like uh, a villainous or anti-hero version of Shazam. Uh, he was granted the same powers by the wizard Shazam, uh, just, but it was 5,000 years ago in this uh, nation called Kandak, which is similar to Egypt. Uh, but just the comic book version of it, basically. And uh, I, I, at the time, actually, years ago, when Dwayne Johnson decided to play Black Adam, he was given the choice uh, between whether or not he wanted to play Shazam 
or Black Adam. So this has been something that's been in the works for a while. Uh, every couple years we hear Dwayne Johnson say, we think it's going to shoot next year. We think it's going to shoot next year. Uh, it seems like it's finally a more real thing because there was finally uh, a teaser that was released in the form of um, kind of a montage and history of Black Adam with concept art that was created by Jim Lee from DC Comics and Boss Logic, uh, who is a, a famous kind of digital artist who creates a lot of um, posters like for uh, fan-made ideas or like imagining certain actors in different roles and things like that. He's very, very popular uh, on social media with the various Photoshop mock-ups that he does. Uh, and so basically it's, it's set up this idea of who uh, Black Adam is, um, what the movie uh, at it, it most basic core will be about uh, where Black Adam returns after being exiled for 5,000 years because the power that he was given, it corrupted him and he became uh, more of a villain than a hero, even though he freed uh, his own people who were uh, slaves like he was and freed his family. So when he comes back, uh, it's now the modern era and uh, the powers of Shazam have been passed on to Shazam. But it doesn't seem like Shazam is part of this movie, um, and we don't really know what the plot is beyond Black Adam coming back. But what we do know uh, is that the movie will introduce the Justice Society of America uh, in the form of four characters who are also part of this movie. Well, we previously heard that Noah Centineo, uh, who was uh, the um, hunky romantic lead into All the Boys I've Loved Before on Netflix, is playing a character called Adam Smasher, uh, who basically has the powers of Ant-Man. He can... Uh, grow and I think he can also shrink um, but he can basically turn himself to the size of like the Eiffel Tower the Empire Stilt Building and whatnot but we'll also be seeing Hawkman uh, Dr. Fate and Cyclone as the other three members of Justice Society of America um, and uh, it's as far as I can tell it seems like they'll be working with Black Adam instead of fighting against him um, but again it's tough to say because even though this introduced us to uh, the characters that will be involved and Black Adam's history the overall plot is kept in a shroud of darkness, essentially, for now. So right now, we have this, these little details to go on, um, and a potential hint from Dwayne Johnson uh, that at some point, maybe uh, there will be a meeting between Black Adam and Superman, and whether or not they're friends or enemies, we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see. So this is one of the panels where, um, you know, this took place uh, they, basically they have not shot anything for this movie yet. Um, right. they're, they're still in the casting phase and stuff like that. So given that, you know, this is one that maybe didn't have, didn't pack the punch as, as some of the other panels did being able to drop, you know, footage that people could get excited about. What did you make of the panel overall, Brad, having, having watched it? And, you know, I guess, are you more or less excited about Black Adam having watching this, having watched this? I'm mostly just intrigued, you know, because uh, I like the idea of Dwayne Johnson playing a superhero or, you know, in this case, Black Adam has, has, been an anti-hero and also a villain he's kind of all of these things at different times throughout dc comics history and i think the thing that intrigued me the most about what dwayne johnson said is that uh, oftentimes you see um people with superpowers still fighting with uh restraint in some capacity and he sees black adam as somebody who doesn't really follow those kind of rules and kind of lets his power just burst out you know without without any of those safeguards in place uh, and he, he said he delivers his own brand of uh, Black Adam justice. And so I'm curious to see how a movie based around a character like this uh, will work for audiences when you want to be, you know, cheering for your um, your protagonist and you want to be rooting for them. And it's, if, if he's going to be kind of this power hungry, potentially uh, not so great guy, uh, I'm very interested to see how that character dynamic plays out in, in an actual story. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to Zack Snyder's Justice League. There was a, uh, I guess, a teaser trailer released for that, um, which is the the whole project is coming to HBO Max sometime in 2021. And uh, Snyder, of course, uh, directed the 2017 Justice League movie. Joss Whedon had to come in during post-production and, and sort of finish the project up after uh, Snyder stepped away due to a family emergency. And we've been, you know, talking about the fallout <laughs> ever since because this project has somehow become, you know, like one of the most controversial things in in superhero movie history, really. Like Warner Media is actually investigating the production of the movie now, years later, because Ray Fisher, who plays Cyborg, is uh, has made all these public statements about like potential abuses of power and stuff that happened on the set. So it's all very vague right now. And I'm, I'm very curious to see what comes of that. What, if anything, comes of that? Because uh, I'm just very curious of like what exactly everybody's talking about and, and how this movie could possibly get any more controversial than it already <laughs> already is. Um, but Snyder released a, uh, a new teaser for this movie. And I want to know what you guys thought about it. Um, HC, let's start with you this time. What did you make of this? Uh, I actually didn't watch this teaser oh, okay. because I All didn't right. well, care about it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I think that says a lot right there. It's really a, a lot of footage. Um, well, let's let's. I'll I'll reserve my thoughts for just a second. Um, Brad, let's go back around the circle. What did you think about this one? Uh, honestly, I hated this trailer, and it's not just because I'm tired of talking about Justice League or all the hullabaloo around the release of Zack Snyder's version of Justice League, but it just feels like a real shitty trailer. Uh, someone let Zack Snyder um, edit the trailer to the version of Hallelujah that he used during uh, that sex scene in Watchmen. Um, and it's just an assembly of all the scenes that we heard were cut from Zack Snyder's version of Justice League. Not in any real stylish way or in a, an interesting way. And it doesn't make the movie look all that different from what we already saw in theaters. It just feels like a, an assembly of deleted scenes where they're trying to sell the Blu-ray or something like that. And the fact that this is going to be cut into, what was it, four one-hour installments just makes me roll my eyes even harder into the back of my head. I just, I, I don't know. I was just, I was curious about this, at the very least. And this trailer just, uh, uh, yuck. <laughs> uh, Chris, what did you think about this trailer? Uh, like HC, I didn't watch the whole thing uh, because I don't care. But I did see that, that lead clip of it, which just immediately made me embarrassed and I wanted to just never see it again. I just, I don't want to turn this into a thing, but there has never been a filmmaker and a film that's received more attention that didn't deserve it than <laughs> Zack Snyder and Justice League. I'm sorry. I, I don't think Zack Snyder is like a bad filmmaker. He's an average filmmaker at best. And to have this much just energy and time and effort devoted to him and this movie in particular is just, it's just exhausting. Like, Oh my God. And just, I, I can't wait till it comes out because uh, hopefully that will knock on wood, finally put this to, to rest, but I'm sure it won't. I'm sure it'll be released the, the theatrical cut because it's going to be broken up. We want the movie version and uh, it'll and go we're on. We're going to get the air cuts. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I sort of agree with you, Brad. I think the um, you know, the footage was just like underwhelming to me. Like I, I went into this with a full uh, you know, like fully ready to be impressed and and be um surprised and like pleasantly surprised after you know being 
relatively exhausted with having talked about this for so long, but I just, it felt, yeah, like you said, sort of like deleted scenes and just sort of like familiar, almost like it felt like I was watching the movie that I saw once in the theater three years ago and haven't really thought much about since. Like, you know, we, we've talked all about like the stuff surrounding it, but like the actual Justice League movie and the content of it and the storyline of it and the beats and the jokes and whatever, like I haven't really given it much thought since then because I didn't really like it that much the first time around. And I thought like, okay, well, here's a chance for maybe an improvement, like not, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with my feelings about uh, Joss Whedon versus um, Zack Snyder or anything like that. Just like, okay, here's a story that I didn't really care that much about the first time. Maybe a a new twist on it will be an improvement, but I, I don't think that this teaser really gave us much to, to latch onto in that regard. And like, it didn't give me much hope any, in any way that, um, that this will be a big improvement over the story that we saw the first time around. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it's, it's just a teaser and, you know, like Chris said, there's you know, <laughs> a trailer is a trailer and sometimes it can be misleading and whatever. So I, I don't know, um, really what to make of that, but, uh, I, I guess we're, we're going to be talking about this for a while. Um, anyway, because this movie doesn't uh, get released until 2021. And yes, as you mentioned, it is going to be released, uh, in four one hour parts. So that was some of the big news that came out of the panel. Um, we also know that cyborg Ray Fisher's character is going to be more of the, he's going to be the heart of the movie in this cut, which I, I thought he was sort of barely a character in the theatrical version. So I guess that's going to be a different, one of the differences, um, football <laughs> yeah and and uh snyder also talks about how ezra miller's version of the flash is going to um you know people are going to see a lot more of him and the the quote was that people are going to get to see more of his emotional arc um which i guess is good because he sort of was like a, a an exposition and a joke machine the first time around so i i don't know guys uh i'm i'm not thrilled with all of this that the panel was really weird and you can read my full write up on that. Um, it got a little uncomfortable at times because he brought on some like people who were clearly fans of his and they just had this conversation where it was like them fawning all over him and just being like, we love and support your work and your vision and him just sort of sitting there and like, you know, he had the sense of like, I appreciate what you're saying, but the optics of it were so strange. Uh, and you know, for everybody at DC fandom to be watching this. Um, that was one of those moments where I almost wish that there was something else going on where I could click over and just like get away from the cringiness of what was happening there. Uh, and then speaking of cringy, um, Peter wanted us to mention this because I think, you know, it was a, it was a big conversation. It was a big talking point, um, all day sort of in the lead up to this panel. Uh, Chris, you mentioned that the trailer leaks beforehand. So Scott Mendelson, who is uh, a friend of ours and, and a friend of the sites, and he's actually been a guest on Chris's 21st Century Spielberg podcast. Uh, he's a writer at Forbes and he covers box office and stuff like that. And he he said, um, so that trailer for the Snyder Cut of Justice League looks like the same movie. Lots of deleted scenes from the marketing campaign, but otherwise it looks like alternate takes of existing scenes. And that, that was his tweet. And then Zack Snyder quote tweeted that and said, you said you enjoyed the theatrical cut of Justice League like you enjoy your Saturday morning morning cartoons well this is made for grown-ups so you're not in the demographic also cool of you to comment on a leaked teaser so uh that tweet sparked this huge discussion of like basically wow how low is Zack Snyder sinking here to make a comment like this when you know this is just like a classic definition of 
or a classic instance of a self-own. Like, it's very easy for Zack Snyder, a rich and powerful person in Hollywood, to just sit silently and not comment on something like this. But instead, he decided to say that this movie is made for grown-ups. So um, I, I have to, you know, I would be remiss if we didn't go around the circle real quick and <laughs> just get some of your thoughts on this. Chris, I know this rubbed you especially the wrong way. Um, so I guess I'll let you go first. What did you what did you make of this whole thing? Yeah, I was just, I don't want to say outraged, but I was, it's like, first of all, Scott's comment was not even negative. I mean, yeah, I guess you could say maybe it was sort of negative to say it looks the same, but he wasn't like, ah, it looks like shit. And right. he said in the past that he's, you know, actually wants to see the Snyder cut. And for Zack Snyder to be like, my movie is for grownups. It's like, dude, what is wrong with you? Like, Scott, Zack Snyder is getting literally everything he wants in this situation, and it's still not good enough for him. And it's like, it, it was so drastically contrasted hours later because right before the Batman panel, the Batman trailer actually leaked. And instead of Matt Reeves being like, don't comment on my leaked trailer. He was, he went on Twitter and was like, thanks so much guys. You're going to see the real thing in a few minutes. And it's like, what a, what a contrast between Matt Reeves being like a class act about it. And Zack Snyder just being this, this crybaby. like get over it, man. What you're getting, what you want. What else do you want at this point? It's just so weird for him to you know, like the idea of saying that this movie is made for grownups is like a joke that people would have made, you know, seven or eight years ago about a, a director talking about a grim, dark version of a superhero movie. And he's actually saying it like with irony free right now in the year of our Lord 2020. Like, What the hell is going on here? Um, HG, did you see this? So what did you make of the, the dust up surrounding this tweet? Yeah, I saw this tweet. I hated it. And um, I don't want to give Zack Snyder more airtime than he deserves because I think he's just being a sensitive, overly aggressive bro. <laughs> That's the only way I can really describe it. I just like, it's a very immature way of responding to something that wasn't even an insult or even a criticism. It was just right. a comment that was observed was very observational comment that uh, echoes a lot of what we were saying earlier. And um, I just, I don't know why he's so up in arms about this, uh, about something that he's already won basically over. So you don't need to be defensive Zack Snyder. You have um, a, a legion of of fans who will, you know, pile on every person who will uh, look the wrong way at you. So just, yeah. Yeah. And a four hour version of Justice League that's coming to HBO Max years after the theatrical version, which he was still credited for. So I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of at a loss for this whole thing. Brad, do you have any sort of final thoughts on this whole Zack Snyder situation? Uh, Zack Snyder took my fruit roll up and told me it was for grownups. So <laughs> I'm very mad at him. Okay, let's move on to the Shazam sequel. Actually, I did not watch this panel. Um, I assume this was one of those sort of like uh, frothy, fun panels. Um, did Zachary Levi show up? Like, who, who was involved in, and what did you see for this? Yeah, one? this panel was only five minutes long, and it was oh wow, it was as frothy as could be. It was Zachary Levi and his Shazam co-stars, including Asher Angel, Jack Dylan Grazer, Megan Good, Faith Herman, and Adam Brody showing up at the last minute to just joke about how they couldn't say anything and how their lips were sealed. And um, Sinbad also showed up uh, at crash to crash the panel and make a big sort of joke about how a lot of people thought that Sinbad starred in the original film and they were kind of making a gag about how he would appear in the second film. I'm not actually sure if that's true, if those are just continuation of that sort of, uh, that joke, but, um, 
that was a whole back and forth. Um, uh, and until um, they revealed at the end of the very short five minute panel that the um, title for Shazam 2 is officially Shazam Fury of the Gods, which David F. Sandberg, who also appeared in the panel, confirmed. And he's also returning to uh, direct this film. So uh, that's that's the film. It's called Shazam Fury of the Gods. Do we know anything about what that might mean, HD? If, you, if you've read into that at all? We don't really know anything, no. And, um, well, you know that the acronym Shazam uh, comes from the six immortal, immortal elders who grant the character his superpowers, Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury. Does it have to do with the source of his powers? Does it have to do with Black Adam? And is that a tie-in? We do not know yet. So there are very, very scant details on this, but... Um, that's that's all we know so far <laughs> okay all right uh a, a small amount of information for a small panel it makes sense um okay so wonder woman 1984 we, i don't think we need to really get into the uh panel discussion itself because that one sort of pretty frothy as well there wasn't too much there linda carter like i mentioned dropped by and, and there was a lot of mutual admiration from everybody there were a couple little details that might be worth um reading if you're a big wonder woman fan so I'll, I'll link that in the show notes but they did release the second official trailer for wonder woman 1984 and i wanted to know what you guys thought about that um i guess i'll go first this time i uh re-watched the original trailer for uh wonder woman 1984 right before this panel started and was like fully hyped and energized. I really, really love that first trailer. So maybe it's just because I was sort of fresh off of a viewing of that, which I think is so well edited and, and paced and put together and the music is great and everything about it. I was just like hyped. And this new trailer, I think, was a little bit of a step down for me. I think mostly because of Kristen Wiig and not her um, character, uh, which she plays uh, Cheetah, who's one of the villains in the movie. Um, not her performance, I should say, but because of what actually happens at the end of this trailer, where she physically transforms into like a, <laughs> a Cheetah woman. And um, I don't know, I thought the CG looked a little dodgy and it just sort of like, um, it took a little bit of the wind out of my sails because the first trailer doesn't show any of that at all. And it, I guess that, that uh, Cheetah you know, the, the physicalization of Chris and Wig as Cheetah sort of reminded me of the very end of the first Wonder Woman where it sort of turned into a little bit of a CG mess and, and you know, a little bit, like, sort of took a little bit of my wind out of the sails of, of that, of my love for that movie too. Like, I still love that movie. Um, but I think that that's like widely viewed as like one of its its big faults is like how the, the big CG finale. And seeing this i'm like oh no are we in for another thing where like i'm gonna love most of the movie but really not like this one specific angle of it so uh those are my thoughts on the wonder woman 1984 trailer um brad what did you think about it yeah i definitely agree that this isn't as well cut as the previous trailer and a big part of it is just that orchestral uh 80s synth version of blue monday just really gives that theater a great pulse um there's still a lot of great footage in this trailer I too had kind of a reaction to Cheetah that was kind of like, oh boy, I hope they have time to fix that before we get that movie in theaters, um, which we should have plenty of time since theaters are not going to do so well. Um, but but uh, yeah, it kind of looked like uh, she came straight from, from Cats, um, and that's disappointing. But, you know, uh, I'm still very pumped for this movie. Everything else uh, looks good. I, I kind of like how they're using the... <laughs> Uh, time period of the 80s to fuel you know this 
um, story of greed, essentially, you know, because Pedro Pascal's character, Max Lord, is trying to, you know, give people everything they've ever wanted. And the 80s is a time, you know, when everyone was very known uh, for their, you know, crass consumerism and just wanting, you know, all the gaudiest, worst things and like sharper image catalogs and all that nonsense. Um, so, yeah, I'm still very much excited for this movie. I I hope that we get to see it in theaters. I, you know, I don't know if it's going to end up getting delayed again uh, or or what's going to happen there. But yeah, still still on board for this one. Chris, I know you liked that first trailer. Did you have a chance to check out the second one? I actually completely forgot to watch this, but I, I remain excited for the film, although now I'm a little nervous based on what you guys said. But uh, that, that other trailer was, was wonderful. That There's that part where like Wonder Woman uses her lasso to, to wrangle some lightning, and that's like such like stoner LSD imagery. And I'm, I'm all in on that. Just how silly that is. Like, I, I don't know. I, I really liked the first wonder woman, despite the, the ending, which was a little weak, but I, I I'm looking forward to this. So I, I hope it turns out well. AC, you just did a big, uh, or I guess you just published your big set visit coverage for wonder woman, 1984. I have to assume that you watched this trailer, even though you weren't covering this panel, yes, right? Of course I watched this trailer. So, my... What did you think about it? Well, my new Twitter header is the image of Chris Pine wearing the American flag, uh, fanny pack. So that may go to show you how much, uh, I did like this trailer. Um, so yes, I watched it and, um, I liked it. It, it's not as good as the first trailer. It's very much a second trailer showing us a bunch of new footage and giving us a little bit more insight into the villains. Uh, the Max Lord um, character is given more of a spotlight, as is Cheetah, which I liked. I kind of liked to see more of how Cheetah's dynamic worked into with with like with Wonder Woman and Diana. And she talked about her motivations a little bit in the trailer too, talking about how she um, you know is envious of Diana and sort of that godlike you know, ability of Wonder Woman as well. So I like that insight. And um, I was also a little bit uh, on the fence about the cheetah shot. It was it was just one single shot, though. So, you know, hopefully it'll be better. But it, it didn't, it came as a bit of a surprise, but it didn't surprise me that they would be going with the full anthropomorphized version because that's how she appears in the comics. But uh, yeah, hopefully mm-hmm. it's a little less digital fur technology and something a little <laughs> better. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. And yeah, I'm just excited for that image of Chris Pine in that American flag fanny pack. <laughs> um, real quick, before we move on from Wonder Woman, HG, I read your set visit stuff and I listened to you talk with Peter on, uh, I think it was Friday's episode of the podcast about your theories about what might happen and stuff like that. Um, the moment in this trailer where uh, Kristen Wiig's character is talking about like, um, I don't remember the exact line, but basically it, it she turns it into sort of like a conversation about the haves and the have nots. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, you've always had this and, and I've never had anything. Um, does that uh, surprise you or is that something that you sort of like, um, thought would be one of the themes of this movie from the stuff that you saw from your time on the set? That does not surprise me because, um, Patty Jenkins in the set visit did talk about how, um, Barbara Minerva is kind of that foil for Diana in that regard and that she aspires to have those godlike powers and aspires to have the powers of the gods. But I do think tying it into that sort of class, um, and social, um, context is interesting. That's not something that we didn't really make the connection during the set visit. So I think if they lean into that and bring the whole greed is good uh, theme of the 80s into it as well, that'll be really interesting to see unfold. Yeah. All right, guys. So let's wrap up our conversation here today with, uh, I guess, one of the most fun uh, 
bits of footage and, and panel discussions that happened during DC Fandom, and that was for James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. So, Brad, you were on uh, Suicide Squad duty. What did you uh, What did you make of the the footage that they showed? Which wasn't really a trailer as much as it was sort of like a, a I guess a behind the scenes featurette of the filming of the film. Yeah, so the big thing um, that they announced, first of all, was they finally gave us the full list of cast members and who they were playing. Uh, we knew everyone who was in the movie before, but there was a lot of speculation about the characters that were going to be in this movie. And James Gunn has really dug deep uh, into uh, old Suicide Squad comics to bring in some of the most obscure and weird characters into the fray. Um, there's, uh, there's almost... Um, I, I think there's actually over... 20 characters here that are going to be in this movie. But James Gunn has said uh, not to get too attached to them because a lot of these characters are probably going to die. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of these characters dispatched in hilarious and gruesome ways, almost in the same way that X-Force was uh, in Deadpool 2. Um, but there's a great roster here. There's only four returning characters from the original Suicide Squad. We have Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, Jai Courtney as uh, Captain Boomerang, Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg, and Viola Davis as Amanda Waller, who got the whole Suicide Squad together the first time. Uh, and we found out who everyone else is playing. Should I just run through the list real quick of everybody else? Or Yeah, I think so. All right, so uh, Idris Elba is playing Bloodsport. John Cena is playing Peacemaker. Uh, David Dasnalchian is playing Polka Dot Man. Michael Rooker is playing Savant. Flula Borg is playing Javelin. Daniel Melchior is playing Ratcatcher 2. Uh, Steve Agee is the... Hang on, real quick, Brad. Ratcatcher 2? So I, from what, I, what I'm guessing at is that there w- was an original Ratcatcher, um, and this is either that character's daughter or a protege who has taken over the mantle. Gotcha. Okay, uh, continue. Steve Agee is the um, physical onset version of King Shark. They didn't confirm or say who is voicing King Shark yet. Uh, Mailing Ng is playing Mongol. Peter Capaldi is playing Thinker. Alice Braga is Solsoria. Pete Davidson is Blackguard. Nathan Fillion is TDK. Sean Gunn is Weasel. And then uh, a few characters who aren't really on the Suicide Squad but have some role in the movie is Juan Diego Botto as playing Presidente General Silvio Luna. Uh, Joaquin Cosio is playing Major General Suarez. And Storm Reed is playing Tyla, who is Bloodsport's daughter. Interesting. Okay, so you actually did a, a whole separate article sort of breaking down the, most of the, the hero or, or anti-hero characters in this. So if people want to know if they're like, wait, Ratcatcher, what the hell is, what are, you, what are you talking about? Polka Dot Man, what is this? Uh, you actually have a, a whole thing, and we'll link to that in the show notes as well, so people can get sort of a primer on these characters. Um, so... Yeah, so many, so many cool weird characters, and and you get an even better glimpse of them in action in the featurette, uh, where some of the cast talks about them, and also James Gunn's style that he's bringing to the table, uh, which is very much in line with his Guardians of the Galaxy vibe, but maybe even weirder and possibly darker as well. Uh, Chris, I know that there was this one moment in this featurette where um, I think it was King Shark that is like basically like ripping a person's head off or like eating a human being whole, and you sort of like lost your mind at that, that image so what did you think about this like behind the scenes featurette yeah i mean i was already interested in it because I'm, I'm a fan of james gunn but this just looks delightful it just looks silly and violent and fun it basically looks like everything we hoped the first movie would be and then the first movie turned out to be a garbage fire and i have much more faith in, in what james gunn is doing here uh, i have much more faith in, in the cast he has here uh so yeah, I, I, I'm very excited to see how this turns out. And I'm, I'm glad that 
you know, if I were Warner Brothers after after the first Suicide Squad, I'd be like, well, that's the end of that. We're never making another one of these goddamn things again. So <laughs> I'm I'm glad they they were willing to give it a second go and let someone like James Gunn come in and and do something interesting with it. It really feels like the difference between Thor: The Dark World and Thor: Ragnarok to me. Just you know, if you want to put it in like a Marvel comparison, just like the sort of um, you know, like underlit sort of like uh, almost joyless um, first entry compared to something that just looks totally different on a tonal level. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see what James Gunn does. It, it made me realize how much I've missed James Gunn as a filmmaker because he had that whole thing where like his tweets got resurfaced and like Disney fired him off guardians of the galaxy three. And it's, um, you know, all of that stuff happened. And then like the pandemic hit and it just sort of like time has warped to such a degree where I'm like, man, it's been a while since we've seen a James Gunn movie. And I, I just, you know, seeing him and, and uh, his cast talk about the way that he's approaching this story and, and um, how all this stuff comes together in the suicide squad made me um, really happy that at least we're going to get to see something of his, you know, sometime relatively soon. Um, HG, have you fully completed the transition of your Twitter account from a normal HT account to a full-on Polkadot Man stan account? I am on my way, and I'm just going to say Polkadot Man is going to become the runaway fan favorite character of this movie. I call it right now. I love him. I'm ready to die for him. I love Polkadot Man. And um, I'm so stoked for this movie. I um, I think that this is one of my most anticipated movies apart from Wonder Woman 1984. Um, it's just so kooky and bright and outsized, outsized and feels like James Gunn's take on a 70s war exploitation movie. And I just think that it's such a weird and fun um superhero movie that you know plays with the boundaries of that genre and just looks so fun guys i'm i'm really stoked i'm just excited for all the characters of all these b and d movie d-list characters um from the dc comics um like pantheon that are coming in to probably die soon but um it's just it's so wacky i'm really excited well, I think all of us can use a little wackiness in our lives right now. So uh, I think all of us are very excited for The Suicide Squad. So you can read more about that. You can read more about all of the movies that we talked about and some that we didn't. There was some stuff from The Flash and a few other panels that we covered, some video game stuff that, that Warner Brothers and DC released during the DC the first DC fandom. And maybe there's going to be a second one. I don't know. We'll see how, how, what state the world is in, uh, I guess, this time next year. But uh, in the meantime, yeah, go go to SlashFilm.com. Check out all of the stuff that we've been talking about and, and more. And you can listen to this episode, or I'm sorry, this podcast published three times a week. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget also to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you guys next time.